Oh, Father, it is a wonder. And because it is a wonder, we cannot truly comprehend it. It is beyond our ability to grasp that the divine creator of the universe would love such a one as I. Oh God, do not let us forget, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'd like to share with you the Niagara Falls of the New Testament. Did you, did you know that there were actually two people, only two, who have survived going over the Niagara Falls without some sort of gizmo or protective uh, stunt device? Only two. One, little Jackie, we shared just a moment ago, 1960. You know, the Maiden of the Mist just happened to be there at that split-second moment. Wow. The other, much more recent. In fact, the last man to go over the falls, October 2003, 40 years old, Kirk Jones, wouldn't you know it, from Canton, Michigan, plunged into the falls, plunged into the waters above the Horseshoe Falls, that would be on the Canada side, on purpose as a daredevil stunt, no protected device, nothing but a shirt and pants. Witnesses say that he was smiling. As he floated over that edge, (laughs) he too too fell the 180 feet down that thundering cataract and survived. Nobody is quite certain how. There is a theory that maybe there's an air pocket or something that's created. Don't know the physics of it. Swam away from the falls, crawled onto a rocky ledge beside the base of the falls, whereupon he was promptly arrested incarcerated, given a psychological examination, and then fined the $10,000 penalty for going over the falls and surviving. (laughs) There is no fine if you don't survive. That's the good news. It's a lot cheaper. Do you know how much water, do you know how much water pours over those falls every second? 600,000 gallons of water a second. Look at that. Wow. That's why Niagara Falls does rank. In terms of volume, the third, third greatest falls on earth. 600 gallons pour over that edge every single second. And it is that word pour that links us to P-O-U-R. That links us to the Niagara Falls, not of North America, but the Niagara Falls of the New Testament. A thundering cataract of very good news. And you must see it for yourself. Open your Bible, please, to the book that has been our preoccupation all this school year. The book of Romans, once again. In this book, we find the Niagara Falls, indeed, the Niagara Falls of the New Testament. Romans chapter 5. Where we left off, Romans chapter 5. I hope you're being as blessed by this journey through this epistle as I personally am. Uh, It's just been no experience quite like this. Romans chapter 5. 
I want to, I want to cut to the chase. I'm going to drop down to verse 5, please. Romans 5. I'll be in the New King James Version. Uh, if you came without a Bible this morning, that would be the translation in the pew rack right in front of you. If you'd like to follow along. In fact, the page number 760 in the New King James Version. Romans chapter 5. We'll put it on the screen for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint. I heard that it just, just so happens that I heard this man interviewed, you know, this couple falls ago. I heard him interviewed and he, you know what he said? As soon as he jumped in that water, he wished he hadn't. I can you. He just hoped that somehow. No, it's too late. Stupid stunt like that. Of course you're going to be disappointed. But here it is. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God, here it comes now, the Niagara Falls of the New Testament. The Greek word is the, is the very word you would use if you were writing in Greek to describe a falls. Because the love of God has been poured out. There it is. It has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts like a, like a mighty Niagara, 600,000 gallons a second. Nope. Rather, every last drop of God's love in the universe poured out through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. The Niagara Falls. Look at verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Wow. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. I suppose if you and I have been standing that day when little Jackie, 1960, goes bobbing by desperately, it is possible that, that, that a, a, a sense of altruism would just sweep over us. It's possible somebody could have dived into that 10 mile an hour, 20 kilometers an hour river and grabbed him, pulled him back. Enough strength to put him on the shore and then that person himself, herself, disappear over the falls. Once in a while it happens. It makes the news when it does. That's Paul's point. Maybe, 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 scarcely, but maybe for a good man, somebody might do this. But, verse 8, here's his punchline. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us. I want to share with you one of the most soul-stirring depictions of the love of God I have read anywhere. And I'd like you to have it. I'd like you to keep it. Keep it with you. It's in your new study guide this morning. Would you please go to your worship bulletin right now and take that study guide out. Thank you, ushers, for getting a study guide to all those who might have gotten in today and didn't get in fact, if one of you came with one, with one worship bulletin, this is worth you having your own, uh, your own quotation. Keep it for yourself. Hold your hands up, those of you listening on the radio right now. You know, if you would go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. If you would go to that website, just click onto this series, Wine and Milk. We're calling this series in Romans, Wine and Milk. This would be, can you believe it already, part 13. And the title of this, so, title of, uh, this particular teaching, a Niagara Falls for your own soul. Just click onto there, click study guide, and you'll have the same study guide we have before us right now. Okay, take your study guide, please. And uh, Romans 5, we just read it. Fill it in, please. The love of God has been poured out. Has been poured out. 
into our hearts. It's been poured out. The Niagara Falls of the New Testament. Now, here comes that quotation. One of the most stirring I've read in depicting the, this, this love of God. It was written a century ago. And notice the water metaphor. The water metaphor keeps going here. Watch this. You'll have to fill it in to make the quotation complete. So uh, keep your pen handy. Let's read together. All the paternal love. Write it in, please. Love. All the paternal. Okay, the family love. Take the whole, the family, all the family love in the, on the world. All the paternal love which has come down from generation to generation through the channel of human hearts. All the springs, here comes the water now, all the springs of tenderness which have opened in the souls of men and women are but as a tiny rill, R-I-L-L, a little drivel, just a little, just a little tiny streak of water. All are but as a tiny rill to the boundless ocean, the water metaphor, when compared with the infinite, exhaustless, right it in love. The infinite, exhaustless love of God. Tongue cannot utter it. Pen cannot portray it. Look, you may meditate upon it every day of your life. You may search the Scriptures diligently in order to understand it. You may summon every power and capability that God has given you in the endeavor to comprehend the love and compassion of the Heavenly Father. And yet, write it in, there is an infinity. An infinity. I met with the uh, physics department last night and we had Vespers together with all the physics majors. We talked about infinity. <laughs> there is an infinity beyond. You may study that love. Keep going. You may study that love for ages, yet you can never fully comprehend the length and the breadth, the depth and the height of the love of God in giving His Son to die for the world. Last line, eternity itself. Eternity itself can never fully reveal it. Oh, the wonder of it all. Sing it with me. The wonder of it all Just to think that God loves me Oh, the wonder of it all The Just to think that God loves me. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Here it is. The Niagara Falls of the New Testament. Write it in, please, with just a few scratches of the quill. Paul introduces us to the thundering cataract. Cataract. That's when a river begins to plunge down. He introduces us to the thundering cataract of the love of God. Read it again, verse 5. Now the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Verse 8. For God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Niagara Falls of the New Testament. And by the way, did you catch that? While we were still sinners... It does not read, once we became good children, God poured out His love. No, 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 no. God in Christ died for the human race at its corrupted and diseased worst. In the words of John R. W. Stott, write it in, please. The more the gift costs and the less the recipient deserves it, the greater love is seen to be. It's the truth. Of the Niagara Falls of the New Testament. Makes me want to say, wow. Verse 1. Therefore, 
having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. And why not? Come on. God has dropped all the charges against us. He's declared us acquitted, pardoned, forgiven, saved. That's the gospel. Your argument is not with me. Your argument is with Holy Scripture. I don't have to go to bed at night, hallelujah, feeling guilty anymore. I can go to sleep now knowing that God's love and grace have given, have forgiven me in full. Like the old sage said, there is no softer pillow than a clear conscience. You can now go to sleep with a clear conscience every night of your life because of the everlasting gospel. By the way, did you, did you hear? Did you hear the story? Did you read about it, the story? Of this husband who took out a full newspaper page ad to get his wife to forgive him. Did you read about that? Just happened two weeks ago. You didn't hear about that? Let me share it with you. Associated Press, Jacksonville, Florida. Here it is. When five dozen roses didn't work, an estranged husband took out a full page newspaper ad to ask his wife for forgiveness. Fellas, keep this in mind. Here are the words in that full page ad. Please believe the words in my letter. They are true and from my heart. Read the ad in Tuesday's edition of the Florida Times Union, Jacksonville. I can only hope the ad went on. You will give me the chance to prove my unending love for you. Life without you is empty and meaningless. Larry, who declined to give his last name. Boy, I wouldn't give my last name either, would you? Larry, who declined to give his last name, sent the $17,000. That's what it cost him for a full page ad sent the $17,000 apology to his wife, Mary Ann, who two weeks earlier had left him, went to, go, went, went to move back in with mom and dad. He tried to visit mom and dad where Mary Ann was. They live in a gated community. They would not let him in. He tried to call her on her cell phone. She changed her cell phone number. One last shot. I'll take out an ad. $17,000. And sure enough, a relative told him that Mary Ann saw the advertisement. She said, my wife read the ad and started crying. But so far, I've had no response from her. <laughs> She's weeping over that money that is no longer negotiable. I don't know. People have been calling into the newspaper. Have they worked it out? Have they worked it out? Newspaper ad director says, I, I don't know. I hope so. A 17,000, isn't that something? A $17,000 prayer for forgiveness. <laughs> Having been justified by faith, we have peace, Paul writes, because our forgiveness did not cost us a penny. But it cost God the entire treasury of heaven emptied out in the gift of his life and death. We have peace. Why not? God has dropped all the charges against us. Wouldn't that give you peace? Oh, the wonder of it all. Wow. The wonder of it all. All right. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Did you catch that? I've got peace. I've got joy. I've got hope. And if you just keep reading, you'll find out you've got love as well. Reminds me of another song. I've got peace like a river and joy like a fountain and love like an ocean. There it is right here in that one verse. By the way, I've also got trouble. Verse 3. 
And not only that, not only all of that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. You see, some, some Christians forget that troubles and afflictions are viewed in the New Testament as the normal experience of the Christian. It's just, it's just part and parcel of the life. In fact, the apostles, let's put this on the screen, Acts chapter, what is this, Acts 14, verse 22, the apostles said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. If you're going through trial and perplexity right now, you're going through trouble, major, big time trouble. Do not be dismayed. It is the lot of the man, the woman who follows after Jesus. Don't give up. You, you, please remember that the path to the crown always leads through the cross. You can't get there without the cross. And that's precisely Paul's point here. Verse 3, And not only that, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Verse 4, And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Verse 5, And here it comes again. Now hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Niagara Falls of divine love poured into the heart of all who trust God. But, as Paul hurries to note, that love is also poured out for those who do not trust God. Makes some people a little bit upset with this thought. Check it out for yourself. In fact, let's go back and reread the verses we read a moment ago, verse 6 and following, only this time. Let's spot them. There are four very unflattering, almost ugly terms that Paul uses to describe people like you and me, like a lost world, who do not trust God. Four of them. Don't write them down now. Just notice them in your Bible. Notice them first. Okay, let's pick it up in uh, verse 6. For when we were still without strength. That's the first one. Without strength. Uh, the, the New Revised translates that when we were still weak. The, the NIV, it is powerless. When we were still powerless. The New Living, when we were utterly helpless, i.e., when we were moral wimps, pygmies. It's not a flattering. It's not, you're not being flattered here. For when we were still without strength in due time. Notice this. Here comes number two. Christ died for whom? Do you know what it means to be ungodly? It's the exact opposite of God. Trust me, it's not a compliment. The exact opposite. Ungodly. Okay, that's number two. Uh, let's see, go on to verse seven. For scarcely for a righteous man will, will one die. <clears throat> By the way, he's not calling you and me righteous. No. Yet perhaps for a good man, no, he's not talking about us either. Someone would even dare to die. But here comes verse eight. Here comes number three. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still... What's the next one? Sinners. It is a gentleman in Scripture. There is no lower category than that. You can't be a half a sinner. You're not, there's no such thing as a low-carb sinner. You're just a sinner. That's the bottom. There's one more. <clears throat> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. All right. Having now been justified by His blood. Keep reading. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. 4, verse 10. If when, here comes number 4. If when we were... What's the word? Enemies. That's the fourth ugly, unflattering word He uses for you and me. If when we were enemies... What is an enemy? It's an outright, high-handed, rebel... Opposition, if when we were still enemies. And by the way, the Bible in basic English translates this, if when we were still haters of God. The point being, it's not a compliment. See? 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life for very unflattering labels for a world without Christ, a world, by the way, that includes you and me. Write them in now. We were all weak, ungodly, sinner enemies. I dropped the plural on sinner so we could turn that into a noun. We were all weak, ungodly, sinner enemies. Not a very flattering portrait of our lost souls now, is it? And yet, get this. Please get this. It is that very weak, ungodly, sinner, enemy, write it in, world. It's that very world. Four unflattering, ugly labels. It's that very world that God declared justified, pardoned, and acquitted at the cross. The whole world. Most people don't read verse 10. They're so excited about a thought they're trying to preserve, they miss verse 10. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand what we have just read? When we were enemies, why that's the whole sinning planet, the whole fallen race. An enemy is an enemy. Look, look, look. There is no such thing as a good enemy. (laughs) There's no such thing as a bad enemy. Enemy is always bad. All enemies are bad. And by the way, in the Bible, all enemies are lost. And if you're an enemy, you're a lost sinner. And if you're a lost sinner, you're an enemy. No matter when or where you lived on this planet, you are lost. Born that way. Born an enemy. Born an enemy. We are a race of lost sinners. And Paul's point, and please get this. Paul's point is that it is precisely in that lostness, an entire race of us outright enemies of God, in that lostness, God personally reconciled and justified humanity through the death of Jesus on the cross. He declared the entire rebel race acquitted. Write it down again. Ministry of Healing, page 90. With his own blood, Jesus has signed the emancipation papers of the race. The entire race. R-A-C-E. The whole blooming sinning enemy race was declared emancipated, reconciled, justified, pardoned, acquitted at the cross. Let me read. Let me read. In fact, it's in your study guide. Uh, Romans 5:10 from the New Living Translation. For since we were restored to friendship with God, I love that. For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. In the words of F.F. Bruce, keep writing. The situation may be compared to that of a king proclaiming an amnesty. 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 They did that in Iraq, didn't they? If you you turn yourself in, turn your weapons in now, all charges dropped. I don't care how much of a bomber you've been, you're now free. That's what an amnesty does. You can come back right now. F.F. Bruce saying... It's, it's like a king proclaiming an amnesty for his rebellious subjects who are urged to accept his gracious pardon while it is extended to them. Mark it down in your mind and in your heart at the cross. God declared a divine amnesty for the entire race. We were reconciled, saved, justified while we were still enemies. That is why. Here in Romans chapter 5, just as in Romans 3, just as in Romans 4, that is why Paul teaches, keep writing, a glorious two-phase, write it in, phase, a two-phase revelation of God's saving love and grace, which Paul calls justification. 
I'm going to show it to you again. Phase one. Write it in, please. Phase one. Justification by grace. That's for all who live. Write it in. All who live. If you're alive, you're covered. Justification by grace for all who live. Jot down these verses. Once again, Christ died for the ungodly. Write it in. Ungodly, Romans 5, 6. And what does God do with the ungodly Christ died for? God justifies the ungodly. Romans 4, 5. And then the next one, having been justified by His blood. That would be Romans 5, 9. What's that mean? All being justified freely by His grace. Romans 3, 23 and 24. While we were... Keep, keep writing. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That would be Romans 5, 8. Now notice this. When we were enemies, Romans 5.10, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Calvary's divine amnesty for humanity. Now, why is... I want you to listen to this. Why... And you may have to scratch a note down here. Why is phase one so crucial? I'll put it on the screen for you. Because it is imperative. We realize our salvation was totally provided for without any prior contribution or response from us. Period. I.e., not even our faith contributes to God's saving gift. Not even our faith. That's Paul's point. It was all accomplished. It is finished. It was all accomplished on the cross. While we were still His enemies, see? While we were still His enemies. All right, now, that's why there must be a phase two. Paul teaches it. Write it down, please. Phase two would be justification by faith. We find him teaching both. Justification by faith, who's that for? For all who believe. First one is for justification by grace for all who live. Second one is justification by faith for all who believe. And here the text, just a handful of them. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, write it in, we have peace with God. We just read that, Romans 5.1. Keep, keep writing here, Romans 5.11. Through whom we have now, notice this, we were reconciled while we were enemies, but also now, now by faith we receive it. See, there's a two-stage, two-phase. Now we are reconciled. And then number three, Romans 3.26, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has, write it in, faith, faith in Jesus He's saying, Pastor, what's so, what's so important about phase two? Why is it so vital? Write it down, please. Because it is imperative. We recognize that God's gift of salvation can only be received, not rewarded. That's why there's the phase two. There's no reward. It's no reward. You can just receive it. You're not rewarded it. A friend of mine sent me this this last week. I want you to see, I, I didn't get it in the study guide. came afterwards. Take a look at this sentence. <clears throat> Many souls decide in favor of the truth. Written a hundred years ago. Many souls decide in favor of the truth from the weight of evidence without being converted. Without being converted. I fear too many of us secretly believe that salvation is granted by orthodoxy, by our intellectual grasp of the truth. Universities in particular are susceptible to this sin. Just like the Jews of old, we demand God's salvation because of our possession of the truth. And we will be just as lost as they. Two phases. Both critical. Eliminate one. You have cut the heart out of the everlasting gospel. 
Paul is clear. You see, the truth of the everlasting gospel is that God has already provided salvation for the entire human race and it is ours to accept or reject. But you're asking, come on, pastor, does that mean then that the entire human race will be saved in the end? No, it does not mean that, though I wish the whole world could be saved. It rather means that at the cross, listen, God declared all humanity justified and saved in Christ and that in order for them to us to be lost, we will have to choose to be lost by choosing to reject the salvation that God has already provided without an iota of our contribution. It's called the everlasting gospel. You know what? The ancient church once taught that. But over the centuries, the ancient church slowly drifted away. If I understand it correctly, you and I are part of a community of faith whose raison d'etre is to restore truth. Not invent it, restore it. And that truth makes a profound difference. Don't you miss our next study. For those who, it makes a profound difference for those who hear the gospel for the first time as well as for those of us who bring the gospel to them. A profound difference. It makes all the difference in the world, but then what would you expect with the love of God? What would you expect? I would like to close by telling you about what surely must be the most loved and beloved baby on earth today, bar none. Let me tell you who this baby is. He's called Baby 81. That's all they have for him. Because he was the 81st victim brought to the, that little Sri Lankan hospital after the devastating tsunami struck. No mother, no father, no siblings. Baby 81 arrived, sur surviving the tidal wave, brought by an anonymous somebody and dropped off at the hospital. However, in the intervening weeks, nine mothers have come forward to claim him as their own. <laughs> Just this last week, one of those distraught mothers broke into the hospital nursery, snatched up that little boy, and while the news cameras were rolling, held him high into the air. Nurses got word, and they rushed to the pediatric ward of that quaint little hospital, grabbed the baby back, reclaiming baby 81 from the weeping mother and the suicide-threatening father. The judges ruled that DNA testing will be done in order to determine the genetic bond and the rightful mother. Which one of the pleading mothers will prove to be the right one? All nine are pledging their undying love and affection for little baby number 81. I tell you what, if there's, if there's a baby anywhere on earth that tonight falls asleep, knowing it is loved, it would have to be baby 81. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. Ah, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. And that, my friend, that is the gospel truth. Amazing. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God,
shouldst die for me.